The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and his goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then the king will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. So, this is Christ the King Sunday, as we've said about 50 times already today. And uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about as as I've been thinking about coming here and being with us, being with you all today, and being able to be in the congregation where I'm a member, which is really nice, is uh, I saw, I don't know, several weeks or maybe a couple months ago now, time tends to run through pretty quickly, that we were having a conversation in Sunday school about what it means to be a reconciling in Christ congregation, and uh, it got me thinking about what that meant to us, because that's certainly something that brought Lauren and I here, is, is that we hold as a value that we're all called to be reconciled in Christ. And there's, there's different aspects of this. You know, there's the aspect that we as a congregation are welcoming to the LGBTQ community. There's an aspect that we as a congregation are a congregation that takes the idea that everybody is created in the image of God seriously. We are a congregation that takes seriously the notion that we are called to not just look like the people who have been here for 50 years, but we're called to be a congregation that begins to look more like the people in our neighborhood. Because we are an intentionally welcoming and, and loving community. And it goes it caused me to start thinking about, you know, how is it that if Christ is our king, that we respond to this welcoming and affirmation in a way that respects Christ as our king. And so I came up with this is a great sermon line. So if you want to quote something or tweet something, this is it. If we want to be reconciled in Christ, we have to be reconciled to Christ. And See, Clayton's like, oh, that's good. So, so the, the reason that I started thinking about this, though, is that I, I have authority issues. I do not like being told what to do. 
My, my wife has testified. You just heard a Lutheran say amen. And, and she converted to Lutheranism, which means that by now, after 16 years, she's more Lutheran than all of us. So, but yeah, I, I do not like being told what to do. I like to do my own thing. I like to do the thing that, that I like to do. I like to do the things that are fun. I don't like to do the things that aren't fun. And most of the time when somebody tells you what to do, they're telling you because you're not already doing it, which means that you're supposed to do something which isn't fun, which, as I said, is something I don't want to do. So now that we've established all my therapy issues, the, the reason this becomes important is because if I'm somebody who takes seriously this idea that we are baptized into the kingdom of God, baptized into a new family, baptized into a family that has expectations of us, that has, a, that has things for us to do because we're a member of the family. But not only that, even stronger than this law we have in the United States, we think about what a king does. And a king is someone who lays down absolute law, at least in the classical sense, right? And when I think about being obedient to someone who lays down that absolute law, I come face to face with those authority issues because I realize that not only do I not want anyone else telling me what to do, I also really don't want God telling me what to do because don't I know what's right for my life? Don't I have some kind of good idea as to, you know, what I'm supposed to do in order to be a good person, in order to be a friendly person, in order to be somebody who people like? Because isn't that really our goal, right? Is to be someone who's nice and friendly and good and we do all these good things and about, about six or seven weeks ago on Facebook, I asked the question, you know, what is it at the heart of Christianity that makes Christianity what it is and it makes us a Christian? And one of my friends on Facebook gave, I think, an answer that maybe not all of us will give outright, but probably a lot of us resonate with. To be a good Christian means that we're supposed to help people when it doesn't interfere with work or family. <laughs> Boy, that would be nice, wouldn't it? So long as it doesn't inconvenience me, I'm, I'm called to be nice. At the heart of it, though, what it means to have Christ as our king isn't about us being nice to people. It's not about the way I do good things, even though doing good things is good. What it means to have Christ as my king is that something in my identity is different than it was before I was part of this kingdom. Something in my understanding of who I am is different than what the rest of the world tells me I am. Because the rest of the world tells me I'm a lot of things. And depending on whether you're, you're happy with me or sad with me, you might tell me I'm a lot of things one way or the other. But through the waters of baptism, we are told something very specific about our identity. That we are marked with the cross of Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. We are baptized into the family of God through no action of our own, no part of our own promise, but because God loves us. Through water and word, God welcomes us to be a part of the family that God creates out of all of us. And that means something really interesting to me in the context of a congregation that says we're reconciling in Christ. Is that all these different types of people and groups of people and places where people are that we talk about welcoming. Yes, it matters that we have all these different identities. It matters that... I'm a straight white guy. It matters that, that other people are other things. But what I hear through the gospel is that I am freed from having that be the end of who I am. I am not my sexual identity. I am not where I live. I am not my bank account. I am not my race or my ethnicity. I'm a child of God. 
And y'all are too. And the cool part about that to me is being a child of God doesn't rest in those other labels we put on each other, even though God sees those and loves those because they are holy and special. It doesn't rest in whether I agree with you or disagree with you. It doesn't rest whether I vote for the same people as you do. It doesn't rest in whether we have the same opinions on social issues. But in the family of God, we are called to a deeper identity. That because God loves us, because God came to us as Jesus and died for us on the cross and was raised on the third day, we have a new type of relationship that is deeper than what the world provides. We have a relationship where water is thicker than blood. We have a relationship where wine brings us closer and bread feeds us in ways that don't just feed our body. We have a relationship that calls us into this community, not because of what we do, but because of who and whose we are through the waters of baptism and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what it means to be reconciled to Christ in this way is that we are called into a family that first of, us, first of all affirms us that God loves us and calls us and claims us and names us holy and blessed even before we're able to say those things for ourselves. And even in those moments where we wonder whether we ever can say those things again. We all have those moments. And we're called into a family where we have things to do. And I think this is the part that, especially when we talk about what it means to have like a Lutheran identity, this is the part that I think makes us distinctly Lutheran, is we, we aren't who we are because of the things we do. We aren't Christians because we do nice things for people. But because God loves us and we love God and we respond to God in a way that's loving, because we have this identity as people of God, who are called and named and claimed and named holy and blessed, out of gratitude and out of love and in response to what God has done for us, we then go out into the world and do these things. It's the difference between having, between being a group of people who go, go out and do nice things because we're afraid of hell, which at that point I don't think we're worshiping God, I think we're worshiping fear. And, and being a group of people who, because we have been named and claimed and loved, we then respond to this with those acts of justice, those acts of mercy, those things that then send us out into our community because all of a sudden we have heard news that we can't keep to ourselves, that no matter what I know about myself, that no matter what people call me, that no matter what people think they know about me, God has claimed and named a different reality and identity in my life, that I am someone who is worthy to go out and proclaim that love with which I have been loved. And that is a gospel that I can't keep to myself. That is a gospel that reconciles us to Christ. That is the gospel that calls us to reconcile in Christ this world that some people want to say is bad and scary and terrible and all these other things that we can think of. And there are bad and scary and terrible things in the world. You know, we, we hear more and more about church shootings and we hear more and more about school shootings and we hear more and more about how this party is doing this thing and this party wants us to do that thing and we hear more and more about how we're supposed to be divided and frightened. And if that's what you're looking for, that's what you're going to find. If you're looking to be scared, I promise you, you can find reasons to be scared. But God tells a different truth about this world. That out of that death and fear and brokenness and pain and shame grows a new hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because where God is, the hungry are fed. And where God is, the sick are cured. 
And where God is, not even the dead can stay down because new life springs up where God is. And that is what we're a part of. That's what it means for Christ to be our king. That's what it means when we talk about being reconciled in Christ. We are reconciling in Christ, not just because we like all these different groups of people, and we do, but we're reconciling in Christ because through the waters of baptism and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is what our family does in response to the love that God has for us. We go out and we find those people who need to hear that good news that their truth is not that they're broken, but their truth is that God loves them and we love them too. That their truth is that they're banking on, but that God loves them and they have a worth beyond their money. Their truth isn't limited to those different ways that we break our identities up. But their truth is the identity that they have in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that they share with us, that we share in, that we share with them. So, we hear this, uh, this gospel about the sheep and the goats today. And one of the interesting things about this gospel passage to me is that uh, the sheep and the goats don't really know that they're who they are. You know, both groups say... Well, when was it that we saw you hungry and thirsty and naked and afraid and imprisoned or, or stranger and we didn't feed you clothes and welcome you and all those list of things? You know, neither group really understands that they're a part of either group. And, and there's the part of me that wants to blunt this a little bit and say, in all of us, we're all a little sheepy and we're all a little goaty. And I know that I'm a little sheepy and goaty, right? So there's that truth. But there is also the truth that... You know, if, if we just go through life living into those things that we want to do, you know, I think about those things that I want to do, and they're the things that make me comfortable, they're the things that make me immediately happy, not necessarily happy down the road. You know, they're the things that feel good and look good. They're the, they're the new iPhone, you know, those kinds of things. If, if that's all I indulge, the things that I want, the things that I think are going to be good, then I know what my tendencies are. Because it's much more comfortable to be a goat. It's much easier to be a goat. Because you see people and you don't feel like they're your responsibility. You see people hungry and you say, well, it's their fault they're hungry. They should get a job. You know, you see people without a job and they say, well, there's a reason they don't have a job. There's, there's, there's always a reason. There's, there's always a reason that we can withhold love, that we can withhold justice, that we can hold per another person down so that we can be comfortable. There's always a reason that we can avoid doing good things for people because we can, we can find that reason rooted in our own comfortableness because my couch is much more comfortable than most places that I might end up outside during the day. To be a sheep, even though it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to constantly deny everything that's comfortable, I think to be a sheep is also something that can be part of our nature and some people are probably better people than I am. I, I know for a fact there are a lot of people who are better human beings than I am in my natural state. But to be a sheep in the kingdom of God is something that might also be natural for some people. But for the rest of us, it takes effort. It takes effort because it, it means that we have to step out of our comfort zone and begin to imagine what the kingdom of God looks like when things that are uncomfortable are included. What does it mean? That that person is hungry is my responsibility. What does it mean that that person who is sick is my responsibility? How is it that I live out in my life, live out my life in a way that expresses this? How is it that I use my personal power, my political power, and my 
and the way that I think and the way that I speak and the way that I act in a way that builds this value up that the people who are in the world are people who God loves and God doesn't leave anybody out of that. It's not about whether we're Lutheran or Methodist or Democrat or Republican or any of the rest of those things. It's about how is it that each of us uses this gospel calling to lift up the world that God loves and how is it that we as a congregation go out into this world and proclaim this message. That's what it means to have a king. Notice in all of this, I didn't say if you want to. <laughs> because the king demands. And that, isn't that the uncomfortable thing for, for a lot of us? I know it is for me. Because I hear the, the commandments of my king. And it's always to find a way to love those people that I have trouble loving. That's always to build relationship with those people who I'd rather not be in relationship to. And if you're ornery like I am, there's a lot, of, a lot of people on that list. The love of God is expansive, not only within our hearts, but out from these doors. So as we, as we close out this year and we prepare, we prepare to celebrate the new year that we begin in Advent, you know, here are the challenging questions for us as we reconcile to God and reconcile in Christ. What is it that God is really calling us to be in this congregation for each other? For this neighborhood, for this community, for the state, for the for the Senate, for the nation, for the ELCA, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. What is it that God is calling us to do and be? And how is it that I <clears throat> how is it that I am going to respond to that? How is it that we are going to respond to that? How is it that, that we are going to follow Jesus' command to be sheep? And to live in that light and glory so that we might enjoy the, the joy of his love, the joy of his presence, the joy of that eternal life that doesn't begin some glad morning when this life is over and we fly away somewhere. But that begins now and here among us as we live and work and love each other as the people of God. Amen.